access to a mic. It's amazing. Rolling actually seven deep to both the cemetery and the funeral home. I suppose there's not a whole lot left to say. 50 to 50 is a podcast documenting Michael Ivan Schwartz's journey to turning 50. Each week, he will attempt to do something he's never done before over the 50 weeks leading up to his birthday on December 20th, 2019, on his personal quest to expand, experiment, and embrace. I'm your host, Derek Vaughn Brown, and I'm here to antagonize Michael Ivan while holding him accountable to his goal. Last time, we were in the basement of Joe Squared, a local pizza joint at a live podcast festival. And festival in the truest sense of the terms. It was packed. It was a real honor to be uh, asked to join them for their live podcast. There was uh, definitely not the greatest sound, and I didn't put a lot of editing into last week. And again, I hope people forgive me and will listen to us right now because we covered, what, like 16 topics last week. It was a lot to jam in, but we had some good Q&A, which I thought was fun. Alexis had her own mic, and we were going to try to experiment and make sure she gets a voice today as well in my basement. I am here, I'm in the basement, and I have access to a mic. It's amazing. Yeah, so we've, we moved from Joe Squared's basement to back to good old Michael Ivan Schwartz's basement. Gracie is graciously sleeping, making some lovely coups. And we're uh, ready to tackle. There's only eight weeks left. This particular thing is a little tough to tackle. On the serious side, for sure. Um, But in the grand scheme of the arc of the story that we've been telling, it's a very, very important part of the story. For sure. First planning of a funeral. The funeral of your patriarch, your father, Papa Schwartz. Yeah, we... um... We had a Jewish funeral uh, less than a week ago. On that note, hey Alexis, could you tell us more about Jewish funerals? A Jewish funeral does not allow for cremation, and embalming is also forbidden. Burial without these items is considered to allow the body to decompose naturally. This burial is intended to take place shortly after the time of death. It is customary to wash hands when leaving the cemetery. A shiva is traditionally observed in the home of the deceased and begins immediately following the burial and lasts for seven days. It is common to find that some families may only sit shiva for one to three days. Mourners do not work during the shiva and may be sitting on low stools or boxes as a means of expressing grief. A Shiva home's mirrors are covered, representing that mourners should not be concerned with their personal appearance. Mourners light a yurtzite candle that burns for seven days as a memorial. A ceremony each day includes prayers recited to honor the passing of loved ones, including the mourner's kaddish and the prayer of mercy. How long did your family sit Shiva, and how was that experience? 
Wow, yeah, we're going straight there. Um, Shiva is traditionally seven days, as you mentioned, and in our family we're not super religious, so we were kind of back and forth on things. Basically did two days at my dad's house, and then it's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to sit Shiva on the Sabbath or holidays. So I came back home to Baltimore, which is why I'm with you, you guys today. There's another tradition that you didn't mention. It's we rip a ribbon and wear it, and we're supposed to wear that for 30 days, and that represents the ripping of our heart and our uh, grief. Are you currently wearing your ripped black ribbon? I'm not. I just did it for the two days, and uh, I actually have it in my car just as a reminder. Uh, but, you know, Shiva's the, kind of the end part, so the planning the funeral began a few weeks before my dad passed. Because this is something, I mean, not only have we talked about it here, but this is something that you and your family, you're the youngest of six, this is something that you and your siblings have been talking about for, I mean, quite some time. Even your father was well aware that this was on a timeline. Yeah, yeah. So he had a stroke somewhere around February, March, and a couple months later, unrelated, got diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. And at that point, it was clear that he was going to die sooner than later. And, you know, um, we've been watching his health decline and all taking on different roles. I had one sister in particular that lived there with him and, and was a huge help to us and help to him and just really served him in his final days, weeks, and months. To me, one of the crazier moments in this whole process was rolling actually seven deep because my aunt came to both the cemetery and the funeral home two weeks before my dad passed to put the plans in motion because we knew time was short. And I, I don't know if your family's anything like my family. My father's one of 13, and he I've got a bunch of cousins, and so we've had quite a few funerals. In Irish culture, uh, we call them wakes, um, and that's where you get drunk and steal your grandfather's liquor and then fist fight each other in the alleys. Um, it's maybe a little uh, less celebratory and a little more like heavy drunken grief. Do you guys also drink during Shiva or is this something where you guys are really... You know, I don't even know the rule on that. I think someone mentioned that someone was bringing beer at some point, I think, to the to the brother's place. I don't even remember now. I, I definitely didn't drink while I was there. I maybe used some other methods of uh, relief. And there's, there's a bit of celebratory atmosphere at Shiva. I mean, you're eating and telling stories and that's part of the whole mood of it. Could have been a comedy routine with seven people walking into the funeral home and the cemetery, and you have to choose a lot of things, and that was part of this process. So you bring seven people into a funeral home, and this is prior to your father's death. Your father's still alive somewhere. My dad was at home in hospice care, and my sister was taking care of him and my aunt, so we left him at home with a health care provider. And I don't, I'm assuming no one told him where we were going. He was definitely getting to the point of not being fully aware anyway, but yeah, we kind of on the sly. Went to the cemetery first. I don't know why the order was that way, but we already had a plot. My mom died 22 years ago. Um, so my dad had already purchased plot and purchased whatever kind of eternal care thing, so we didn't have to deal with that. The tombstone was already done, but we were going to be adding on some things. At this time, since you're, you know, you're about to turn 50, this could change maybe later down the road, but do you think you would want to be buried or cremated? Have you actually thought about how you want your end of life, your remains to be handled? Yeah, so I am very much wanting to be cremated. 
I'm reading a book right now, actually, that is about the different death ceremonies in different cultures. And uh, it's really interesting. One is this open pyre where they burn you in Colorado. It's a small town that has gotten approval. And this couple that kind of started the whole process really um, made me think about even some more unique ways of being cremated or being um, even put back into compost is something that they're working on, one of the chapters I'm reading now. So something along those lines. I definitely don't want to be buried. I definitely want to take up space. And you and your siblings have not entirely been on the same page about this whole process, right? There have been times where there's been a little arguing or a little tension. It's a tense situation. So a little bit about maybe difference of opinions. I think it's a bit more about emotions and grief and just how we each were dealing with it. It wasn't a whole lot of like fighting about a specific topic of, you know, my dad wanted this or not that, or this type of healthcare or that. You know, I think we're almost all on the same page or certainly we're happy to do what it is we thought our dad wanted. But yeah, it's just a very, very tough thing. My mom, 22 years ago, had a very different experience in her death. And part of it was just obvious because my dad was there. So he was doing all the decision-making and meeting with doctors and talking about hospice and paying for things. And when it was over, there was no, like, house to sell or stuff to go through. And, you know, so we were shielded from a lot of that. I was 27. And so I also think just my maturity wasn't quite there to fully... I was very emotional and upset, but definitely wasn't confident or comfortable, like, getting up and speaking at her funeral. But this time for your father, I believe you did get up and speak about him. And so how did that go? Let me play it for you. So I'm Michael Ivan Schwartz. I'm the youngest of the six. And my father died of pancreatic cancer on Monday. My mom died, as we heard, 22 years ago of the same disease. It's kind of shitty. I uh, didn't speak at my mom's funeral, so I hope that you'll forgive me that I'm going to share a little bit about both of them. I know my dad would appreciate that. I'm going to share a handful of things that I feel like they influenced me and that I've received from them. And the first to me is a very obvious one. It's food and a love for food. Uh, I love cooking and eating. I love trying new things. And I spent a lot of time with my mom in the kitchen. Many of you know she's famous for her cooking and even more so her baking. I haven't even tried to touch the baking world, but I've tried to imitate some of her, her great cooking. And thankfully, my dad has put up her recipes online and that was a way for us to kind of bond with my mom post her her death uh, the thing that we love the most in the family i think i can speak for everyone is a pizza and uh, i've made it a few times with friends some that are here it's a very special thing for me to spend that time and energy because it's a lot of work um but the memory of it is just uh something i will really cherish uh my mom's cooking and baking was typically just her and being the youngest, I would wind up in the kitchen with her often. And I think she would excuse me or allow me to lick the batter or help out, hand her a tool or something. But no one else is really allowed in her kitchen. Last Thanksgiving was the first time that I got my family sucker to come visit me in Baltimore to have Thanksgiving there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for everyone to travel two hours each way just for one person. But uh, they made that special trip, and I really appreciated it. My dad was able to be there. There was a moment in the kitchen, I did not make turkey for the first time in my life. I chose to get it catered and just lie to my family that I did it myself. But uh, I was having to heat everything and coordinate. The caterer gave me all these instructions, and I'm trying to make everything just right so it comes out hot at the same time. 
and really didn't want my siblings to bring anything, but of course they did. So then they were in the kitchen trying to set up what they made and make their salads. And I'm like, I live in a row home in Baltimore. It's a nice kitchen, but it's nothing huge. And I was getting very irritated. And I saw my dad just standing in the kitchen doing nothing, smiling. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. He just looked at me and I'm like, Dad. He goes, I'm just so happy. It just makes me so proud. I can see your mom in you. And I know what you're thinking. And I'm like, yeah, get the fuck out of my kitchen. (laughs) So he did. Uh, In recent years, my dad had to learn how to cook on his own. And I think at first he was kind of nervous about it and probably got a lot of takeout. But eventually started cooking on his own, learning recipes, adjusting my mom's recipes, which I'm not so much in favor of. Uh, But then even in more recent years, he decided uh, to adjust his diet. And we talked a lot about that. He wanted to lose some weight. I'm sure it was some health-related issues. He learned, as I did a little bit before him, that carbs not always our best friend. So he adjusted his diet, lost a lot of weight. I think he felt a lot better. Uh, And it was something else that we bonded on uh, as single guys, learning how to cook for ourselves and how do you portion it and how do you freeze it. And um, it was just another way to bond uh, with my parents. The second thing I'm going to talk about is music. I love music. I am not a musician. I wouldn't call our family a musical family. Uh, But I am passionate about being a music fan. I have concerts at my house. Uh, I've hosted a lot of musicians in my home. It's something that just gives me a lot of joy. I go to a lot of concerts. And I think it all started with my dad. He played piano very well. I learned to play piano by just watching him. So uh, he would play, I would watch the notes, I would ask him questions, what's that little dot mean, and oh, that's a C, and that's this button you push here, and so I kind of learned from him, they gave me some piano lessons that lasted about three weeks, and I moved on from that. (laughs) So I'm no longer uh, involved in making music, but my family really did listen to music all the time. We had this massive record collection that I inherited from my brother uh, several Thanksgivings ago, and still play those old records and think of my family, my favorite record, Buffalo Springfield from Mona that I listened to, and it's just very nostalgic. Um, my parents loved to dance. My dad was more into the big band and swing. My mom loved all the pop music, Elton John and Billy Joel, whatever was playing on the radio. So the radio was on all the time, and I just appreciate that um, they gave that to me. And then I have a great appreciation for dancing. Uh, I did take a couple dance classes in college, but I like a little more modern stuff. But when people saw my mom and dad on the dance floor, they were just who is this couple? They, they, it was the couple that took over the floor and everyone made a way for them. And it was beautiful to watch their symmetry. And uh, as someone else mentioned, my dad was 6'3", my mom was, I thought, 5'2", 5'3". So it was a pretty interesting combo, but he could uh, toss her around. And it was beautiful to watch. All right, third thing is hosting. We mentioned the Halloween uh, events that Adam mentioned. I love hosting events. I have people that live with me. One of them's here, a roommate. Sure, I collect rent, but it's much more about having a community and having people live together. Uh, Having parties, I have an annual wine, cheese, beer, chocolate party every December. You're welcome to come. Uh, That influenced in the Halloween world was the same thing, getting dressed up. uh, This is my favorite time of year, so I'm really looking forward to this weekend and celebrating Halloween uh, in honor of my parents. I'm going to be dressed as a millennial. I'll let you fill in the gaps. You can ask me later what that means. And obviously Thanksgiving was a huge event in our house. Uh, I know my parents have told this story many times. When the siblings would get married, they would sit down with the spouse and say, listen, New Year's, Christmas, Hanukkah, Easter, whatever holiday you're celebrating, whatever it is you're doing, that's great. Thanksgiving's mine. 
And so we've tried to keep up that tradition as a family, and um, it's beautiful. Uh, next, there's three more, I promise. It'll be quick. Sports and games and competition. So I'm extremely competitive. And uh, last night we were talking with the rabbi on the phone and kind of filling in some details. I realized that everyone talked about my dad's competitive nature. He didn't let us win at anything. You had to play. I'm 5'8". I used to be you know, about 4'2 up until ninth grade. My dad's 6'3". We would play basketball one-on-one all the time. And uh, my edge was we would play horse, you know, which evens it out a little bit more. He wasn't allowed to dunk. But I had the famous knees jump shot move, which I would get on my knees and take a jump shot from my knees because I knew he had bad knees. <laughs> so that would be the only way I could beat him in basketball. Um, we played ping pong. We played tennis. Again, super competitive. And... Uh, I take that to this day. I coached lacrosse for uh, the last 11 years at middle school in Baltimore, and uh, I really loved winning. So thank you for that, Mom and Dad. It was already mentioned about games and goodies and the poker. Um, I'm sorry, Blackjack, Adam, he did teach me, so maybe it was about the math skills. Uh, So I'm happy to teach you. It'll cost you. That's right. I do want Dad's poker chips. Anyway, fifth. As mentioned earlier, my dad's a storyteller. Uh, what I do for a living is I make documentary films for nonprofits. So storytelling is a part of my everything. It's what I do for a living. It's part of my life. I enjoy helping other people tell their stories. My dad was great at telling his stories. Um, obviously, he's been in plays. I mentioned the movie. I, uh, sorry. Don't know how much of his skill set I have, but I'm going to attempt to tell you my favorite story about my mom and dad. My teen years were not the best with him, and we would go on vacations. All the siblings were out of the house, so I was stuck with mom and dad on vacation. (laughs) And uh, we were on vacation once. I was not enjoying it. We went to a restaurant, and I made a comment to them. They were sitting across the table from me, and my mom reaches over and said, oh, honey, I'm sorry you have a bad headache, and starts rubbing my temples. And I just started losing it. I'm cracking up. I'm like, <laughs> my dad starts laughing. He's in on the joke. My mom, because it's just contagious, is laughing along with us, but doesn't know what's going on. I'm trying to catch my breath just to say, no, I didn't, I didn't say I have a bad headache. I just I couldn't get it out. My dad goes, honey, he said, we have a bad sense of humor. <laughs> and so we all start cracking up. I'm laughing even harder because that is not what I said. I'm like, tears coming down. I literally fell under the table. I was laughing so hard. I was 14 years old, uncontrolled. I finally catch the breath. I'm like, I said, you guys have a bad sense of hearing. (laughs) It's the hardest I've laughed in my life, and I'm really proud that I uh, received those gifts from my parents. The last thing that I received is my family. My, my siblings mean very much to me. Growing up the youngest of six, you'd think it'd be easy to be forgotten and left behind. And in particular in our family, you know, I think from the outside people are like, oh, you mean your half-brother, your half... That's just not how we did it. We're siblings. Don't even think about it. And um, I was always proud to introduce myself to people and tell the backstory of my life to say, you know, yeah, my mom was 14 years older than my dad, and he was about 24 when they got married, and she had five kids. He's closer in age to my oldest sister than he is to my mom, and 
Um, it's just a beautiful love story. It's weird. It's different. I appreciate it. It's allowed me in the way that he reacted with my siblings, with the way siblings reacted to me. My fam- It just was a family. We were all family, and that's the way it should be, and that's how he's treated the in-laws if they've come in, and the grandchildren, the grandchildren were from different marriages. It's just, we're a family, and uh, we need to keep that. And I really love them, and love that they gave me this family. And uh, I thank you, Dad, thank you, Mom, and uh, thank you for letting me speak. Wow, that was really beautiful. That was um, very emotional. And I kind of have a hard question for you, Michael. In this podcast and personally, you've described the relationship between your parents as just being this amazing love story, so much so that your father wanted to make a movie out of it. And I just wonder if that's something that you crave or look for. You know, you're single. Do you crave the same kind of love story that your parents have? And then not to sound too harsh, but not at all. It's like two parts here. One part is my dad's version of their love story is very beautiful. And um, he made a movie that's being made. I saw a 10-minute trailer that really, really cool. Very excited to see it. And I think it's... A movie version because his worldview of their marriage took on that bent I think even more so after her death so I don't quite crave that but I think the the thing I crave um, and I think why I was even particularly emotional about my siblings is community and family so I crave that and not definitely not in the like oh I want to get married and have lots of kids I thought that in my teens and 20s, that's what I thought was the thing I was looking for. And uh, I found it in so many other places that I love, including our little community right here telling the podcast about me turning 50, how each of you represent different friend groups in my life that have come together, sitting in this house where I host all these different parties, roommates. You know, my roommate Elizabeth, who came to, who came to my dad's funeral, I mean, she's someone I just met on Craigslist. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. She moved in, uh, I don't even know how many years ago that was. Um, we've lived together three different times. We're like brother and sister. And um, that's the thing I think that um, I crave. And I think my parents gave me. We were that family that all the kids ran through our house in the neighborhood. And um, being the youngest of six was always trying to tag along with my siblings. So thanks for that hard question, you jerk. I suppose there's not a whole lot left to say. Let the the relief and community oneness of Shiva wash over us all. We love you, Michael. You have been listening to 50 to 50. Check out our website, 50to50.com. For photos, videos, and the opportunity to give us feedback or suggest an activity for Michael Ivan's quest to expand, experiment, and embrace as he turns 50.
50! 